We won't read the text again um, right now, but we will look at it, read it again as we go through um, the sermon together. But let's uh, have another word of prayer and just ask God's blessing on our time in His Word. God, we thank You for Your goodness that we've just sung about. And truthfully, all our lives You have been faithful, and all our lives You have been so good. And as we understand Your goodness and faithfulness uh, with our fleshly minds, God, one day we will see Your goodness and faithfulness in its fullness when we are with You for eternity. And God, until we reach that day, until we reach that moment, I pray that our desire would be to surrender ourselves to you in every area of our lives, God, that we would believe that your way is the best way, that your plan is the best way. God, I pray that you'd use your word this morning to speak to our hearts, and I know we've mentioned it a couple of times already, but God, as, as you know the hearts of those who are in the room today, if there are any here who have never trusted Christ as their Savior, that I, I pray that through our time in this text, they would see what a wonderful Savior He is. That they would understand not just in a temporal or earthly way the things that He can do for them, but they would understand in a spiritual way and in an eternal way what He has already done for them in dying upon the cross in their place. God, for those of us who are believers, I pray that, that we would stay focused on what truly matters in this life. And certainly we understand that there are so many things that are seeking to grab our attention and pull us in one direction or another. And, and God, many of those things are not even sinful things by themselves. But God, I pray above all else, our heart's desire, our heart's focus would be upon you that we would love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would be willing to sacrifice the things that you call us to sacrifice, God, that we'd be willing to follow you wherever it is you lead us. God, we pray through your word and through your spirit that you would continue to shape us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. We pray for the children's church ministry, for the nursery ministry this morning, God, that even in those young hearts, your word would be planted deeply inside of them, that they would understand at a young age, God, how much they are loved and how much they need you. God, we pray that you just continue to grow our church family in the way that you see fit. May we rejoice in you at all times. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The title of our time together this morning in the Word of God is simply Staying Focused. Staying focused in an ever-changing world can be a very difficult thing. Since I have, was a child, uh, staying focused on the task at hand has always been somewhat of a challenge for me. Anybody else ever face that? You, you have a little bit of uh, maybe ADD, ADHD, squirrel syndrome. You just, your mind goes all over the place. Some people can buckle down in the moment that a task is given to them and they can uh, accomplish it with great ease while others have to labor to stay focused and then they have to refocus time and time again throughout the process because something distracted them from the task at hand. That may not describe you in a physical sense, but I would suggest or submit that it does describe each of us in a spiritual sense. 
That so often we know what God has called us to focus on. We know what God has called us to. And yet time and time again, we allow our focus to be shifted onto something else, something of lesser value. And God calls us back to focus on Him one more time. So we started 2023. We chose the theme, Jesus only, as you can see behind me. And we did so because our desire was that for our church family, that we would be focused on Him alone. I said earlier, there are many things in this world that are seeking to grab our attention and to pull us away from what matters most and what matters for eternity. And and these things may not, as I said, all be sinful, but if we give them all of our time and attention, they can become sinful. So we have to look at our priorities. We have to look at at what it is that we're focused on, and we have to assess if this is what God would want us to focus on or if this is simply what we want to focus on in the moment. The idea of staying focused is indeed paramount in the Christian life. We've all seen someone who was once a dedicated and devoted believer, but then over the course of time they lost focus and began to give themselves to other things. And while we can see that easily in the lives of others, if we're honest, we've probably also been able to see that in our own lives at times as well. And I pray that as we look to this text, that God would, would grip our hearts one more time and recenter our attention on Him and what truly matters both in this life and for eternity. As we go through this last section in Mark chapter 6, we'll see once again uh, that Jesus intentionally stayed focused on the right things. In the fast-paced nature of Mark's gospel, we could almost get lost in what isn't written down for us, wanting to fill in the gaps or emphasize the things that are of no real benefit, but we would be better off to read the text as it is written and glean what God would have for us, and in doing so, I think it'll help us gain an eternal focus. If we remember, one of the things that we've been emphasizing lately is that the Word of God is written in the way that it is written for a reason. He's put the the stories in the order that he's put them because he has a desire to teach us something. We've seen a lot in Mark's gospel already, and really in chapters 5 and 6, we've seen the ministry of Christ just explode. The amount of people that were flocking to him, the the amount of people that were interested in what he had to say was unlike any other time. Many say that this was the the height of Jesus' ministry. From this point on, it seemed that, that people started to get very opinionated about who Jesus was. And they either loved him deeply or they despised him intently. So it's almost like we're at a point of decision as well in Mark chapter 6. What is our view of Jesus and how are we focusing on him? And so I would ask us this morning as we dive into this passage, are, are you, am I, focused on things that matter for eternity? That's a big question to think through, but I think it's a question that deserves our attention. And truthfully, we can, on the outward appearance, appear to be doing all the right things and still have a heart that is focused on the wrong things. We can appear to others to make it look like we have the Christian life all figured out, and yet at the very same time, our own hearts can be deceiving us, and we can be very far from God. And so I would ask us again this morning, are we focused on things that matter? 
I like the quote by Vodi Bauckham that says this, If I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball but fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ, then I have failed as a father. If I emphasize the temporal over the eternal in the way that I focus on things, I may gain all this world has to offer, but the opposite is also true, that I may miss everything that God ever wanted to give me. And so, friends, what we focus on matters. How we focus on things matter. We can either go through this life with a temporal view or an eternal view. And in this text, Christ reminds us that for the believer, there is a better way to live. I pray that as we look into these verses today, that our hearts would grasp this truth and we would desire to live in the way that Jesus lived. The big idea this morning is this. Jesus lived with a deep understanding of the dangers of distractions. Not only did he teach the idea of being eternally focused, but he lived out this truth day in and day out. Who's ever been distracted while driving before and all of a sudden you hit those rumble strips on the side of the interstate? Who's ever been distracted before and now newer cars, at least our car, has this red light that flashes on the windshield. Anybody else have one of those? And the alarm goes off. Maybe, maybe you're just not a distracted driver. And maybe I just revealed how much of a distracted driver I am. Because I see that thing quite often, unfortunately. But we know the dangers of distractions. We know they're out there. We know that they're present. So my question for us today is, will we stop focusing on the distractions? And will we determine to focus on the eternal things that truly matter. Three things this morning from this text that I hope will be a help to us. First off, Christ stayed focused, or I'm sorry, Christ stayed on mission. Christ stayed on mission. In verses 45 through 47, again, the Bible says, and straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. Christ stayed on mission. The passage that we looked at last week revealed uh, one of the great miracles that Jesus accomplished, and it's one of the miracles that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, and it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. That's what we know it as. Uh, but as we said last week, there was likely uh, twelve to 20,000 people in attendance in that great fellowship meal as Christ came to that side of the sea and he saw the people. The Bible says that he had great compassion on them Why? Because they were a sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them. And as the evening came, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, you should send these people away. They're hungry. Let them go get food. And Jesus said, You feed them. And the disciples said, We can't feed them. We don't have enough money. And, and, and Jesus said, well, how much bread do you have? And the disciples went around, and I believe it was John who came back and said, we've got five loaves of bread and, and just two fish. And Jesus said, make the people sit down in companies of fifties and hundreds. And Jesus looked up to heaven. He blessed the bread. He prayed to the Father. And then miraculously, Jesus broke that bread and broke the fish and fed all those people. And there were 12 baskets 
of food left over. The miraculous power of Jesus is indeed incredible. And Jesus, uh, as he does these miracles, God uses them to reveal many things. But the main thing that Jesus, that, that is revealed about Jesus in the miracles is this simple truth that Jesus is God. Do you believe that today? That Jesus is God, that he's not a God or one of many gods, that he's not just a good teacher, but he is indeed God in the flesh who came to this earth to die on the cross for the sins of the world so people could be forgiven. And everything he did on this earth pointed to that reality that he was indeed the savior of the world. Well, as we enter into this section of Mark 6, uh, as we have that background reminding us of, of what we see, have seen, the Bible says that Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship. Jesus was going to stay there, and he had some, some things that he wanted to do personally, and so he sent the disciples away. And that word constrained is a strong word. He compelled them, or he commanded them to go away. Now, who do you think the disciples wanted to stay with? Jesus. They enjoyed seeing the things that he did. They enjoyed hearing the teachings that he did. They felt safe in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus said, I want you to go away. And while Jesus sent the disciples away, he also sent the people away. Now, it's interesting. This this crowd was great, as we said, somewhere between 12 and 20,000 people. And why is it that Jesus would have sent them away? That's not a very good ministry growth tactic, right? When the crowds are getting bigger, we push them away. But there's a reason that Jesus does what he did. And there's always a reason that Jesus does what he did. John gives us a little bit of insight into this. In John 6, the chapter in John's gospel that relays to us the feeding of the 5,000 in verse number 15, the Bible says this, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force, To make him a king, he departed into a mountain himself alone. You see, the people on this side of the sea where Jesus had just performed the miracle were growing in their interest towards who Jesus was. They appreciated the fact that he could do the healings. They appreciated the fact that he just fed them with a meal that that blew their minds. He was able to do things that, that nobody else could do. And if you think about the people he was ministering to, They were a people that didn't have people of great power on their side. They faced a little bit of oppression. They faced uh, being put down or mocked or shamed because of their heritage. And when they saw the power of Jesus, what did they say? They said, we want this guy to be our king because of what he can do for us. Now, do we blame them? Wouldn't we want a king, a, a physical king like Jesus? One that could do all the things that we desired him to do. One that could take care of our needs. One that could fulfill all of our wishes, so to speak. But when Jesus perceived that this was going on in their hearts, which again proves to us that he was God because he could understand what was in their hearts and their minds, the Bible says Jesus sent them away because it was not his time yet to be elevated in that way. And so Jesus sends the crowd away. He sends the disciples away, and then Jesus goes into a mountain to spend time praying to his Father. Jesus could have been distracted in that moment. He could have said, oh, look at how much the people love me. 
Oh, oh, look at the people that want to make me their king. Oh, look at the people who want to worship me in a way that, that they don't even fully understand yet. Jesus could have got distracted by these things, but instead he pushed aside the distractions and he focused on what mattered. And it struck me this week that if Jesus had to go spend time praying to the Father, how much more do I need to spend time praying to the Father? And yet so often the thing that keeps me from praying to the Father are the distractions of this world. The things that I hope for, the things that I desire, the things that I want, those are the things that keep me from from being the person at times that God wants me to be. And yet Jesus was able in these moments to push past the distractions and to focus again on the will of the one who sent him. Reading this account of Jesus going into the mountain alone to pray, uh, there, there are several uh, things that people assume Jesus was praying for. Some believe that Jesus was going to pray for the people uh, that he was ministering to. Some believe that he was going to pray for the disciples as they were getting ready to face a trial. I tend to believe that this is similar to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus went to pray to the Father to recenter his heart and mind on the mission that God had sent him to fulfill. That he went to the Father and, and said, Father, I, I need you. I'm, I'm desperate. I'm depending on you in this moment. And as we see Jesus go to the Father and pray, we see both sides of his life. The spiritual, the side, the, the, the divine side, and the physical side, the human side, coming together. And he's going to the Father to stay focused on the mission that the Father had given him. Friends, I, I wonder today, where, where in your life, where in my life, have we become unfocused on the mission that God has given us? Where have we become distracted by what this world has to offer rather than being laser-focused on what God has called us to do? Where in our lives have we gotten off course and how do we need to recenter ourselves again on the mission that God has given us? I'm not sitting here today pointing a finger at you. I'm pointing a finger at my own heart. Why? Because we're all prone to give in to distractions. And we all need times in our lives, and I would say daily times in our lives, where we submit ourselves to the will of the Father one more time so that we can fulfill the mission that He has given us. In this this moment where the world wanted to elevate Christ in a way that He was not yet ready to be elevated, we see that He sent the people away so that He could fulfill the mission that God had called Him to. See, sometimes in life, We have to be willing to say no to good things so that we can do the best thing. Sometimes in life, we have to be willing to to set ourselves apart from from that which is appealing to the flesh or that which is appealing to the mind so that we can say, I'm sanctifying or, or setting myself apart for the purposes that God has for me, whatever they would be. Now, let's think about Christ again just for a moment. Would it have been better from a physical perspective for him to become a physical king in that moment rather than going to a cross and dying? Sure. From a physical perspective, it would have been. But what would have had a more eternal impact? The cross. So in this moment when the crowds wanted him to be king, and in this moment where the disciples were not focused on the right things, as we'll see uh, and as we have seen, Jesus sends both of these crowds away so that he could stay focused on the mission that God has given him. I like what Paul says in this 
area of staying focused in Philippians 3, verses 13 through 15. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. Paul says, I'm determined in my life to stay focused on the things that God has called me to. Paul's mission was not the same as Peter's mission. Peter's mission was not exactly the same as James's mission. They all had a mission that God had given them distinctly. And Paul's desire was that he would be focused on the mission that God had given him. So often in life, the thing that distracts us is when we start looking around at everybody else and see what they're doing, and we say, God, why can't I do what they're doing? Why can't I have what they have? Why can't I go where they go? And God says, son, daughter, I've got a plan for you. Just stay focused on the mission at hand. So we can't compare ourselves to those around us because we'll get discouraged, we'll get distracted, but instead we have to stay focused on what God has called us to do in the place that he has called us. So Jesus stayed on mission. He stayed focused on the things that the Father had called him to do. And one of the downfalls of the church in this day and age is that we dabble in everything else other than what God has called us to do. We make it our mission to to correct the world in every area rather than just preaching to the world the gospel that God has given us to preach. We We make it our job to to get people who have never met Christ as their Savior to live like we live because it's going to make us more comfortable in life. Our job is not to change the way people live. Our job is to preach the gospel so that God can change their hearts. And when God changes their hearts, what's going to change? The way that they live their lives. And so we're called to stay focused on the mission. We're called to stay focused on the thing that God desires for us to do. And if in your life you have an opportunity that looks good to your flesh, but it's going to pull you away from what God wants, to do, wants you to do in a spiritual way, what's your choice going to be in that moment? If in work you have an opportunity for a promotion, but that promotion comes at a cost of pulling you away from the mission that God has called you to, what's your choice going to be? In raising kids, when we have an opportunity to see our kids better themselves, but it's going to cost them spiritually and that they won't be able to attend church services or be involved in the mission of the gospel, what's our choice going to be? Christ stayed focused. He stayed on mission and he submitted himself to the will of the Father. He went to the mountain to pray. I don't believe for the disciples. I don't believe it was for the crowds, but I really do believe it was like the Garden of Gethsemane. God, help me stay focused on the mission that you have given me. And church, I pray that that would be our prayer as well, that we would stay focused on the mission. The second thing we see this morning as we look at Christ's ability to stay focused is that he interceded for the disciples. In verses 48 through 52, the text continues and says, as he was praying, verse 48 picks up and says, and he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and they cried out. 
For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up into a mountain, or he went up in, unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Second thing we see in Christ staying focused is that he interceded for his disciples. As Christ went up into the mountain to pray, it seems that he had a vantage point that allowed him to see what was going on down below in the sea. I used to think that, that this was some like miraculous occasion where, where Jesus was praying and then God gave him a vision of the disciples in the sea. But I think sometimes we can over-spiritualize things, right? Jesus could have just been in a lookout over the sea and he saw down below that a storm had picked up and the wind was, was growing and the waves were growing and he saw the people in the boat that he loved, that he cared for, that he was pouring into in a place of desperate danger. And so what does he do? He finishes up his prayer time and the Bible says that he makes his way to them. He saw them toiling in the waters as they were trying to row across the sea. He he saw the winds picking up and the waves crashing. And this was about the fourth watch of the night, which is not language that we use, but it would have been about 3 a.m. in the morning. And in the middle of the night, the disciples were alone. They were likely freaking out. And Jesus knew that he needed to step in on their behalf. My parents went camping um, the, the last couple of weeks and they had probably the worst camping experience they ever had. Um, Did anybody see all the rain we got recently? Yeah, that kind of puts a damper on camping. Uh, One night, my dad put a bag of trash in his trunk and came out the next morning, and a bear had torn through his tunnel cover and gotten that bag of trash out. They took the boat out, and uh, they got halfway down the lake, and guess what happened to the boat? It died, and Charlotte was with them, some of the grandkids were with them, and uh, they had to row their speedboat back to shore with one canoe paddle, and it was a miserable situation, but the, the funny thing is, is when we picked up Charlotte, you know what she said? She said, Dad, the boat died in the lake, and Grampy had to paddle us back, but the Lord was with us. I said, what do you mean? She said, the Lord was with us. The wind was blowing in the right direction, and it was leading us to where we needed to go. Friends, that's special. That's special. That at a young age, she can see and understand and hear and know that the Lord is with her. That he he aids in our time of need. And as we think of the disciples out on the sea in the midst of the storm, guess what the Lord did? He came to them. He interceded on their behalf. He helped them in their time of need. And as Jesus was praying to stay focused on the mission, part of the mission that God gave him was to pour into the disciples, to pour into them kingdom truths, so that when he was gone, they could carry out the mission that he established on this earth. And so Christ interceded on their behalf. He interceded in their time of need. They were toiling. They were rowing. The wind was contrary to them, but the Savior was close by. And have you ever, have you ever felt in life that the wind was contrary to you? That everything was working against you? That nothing was going in the way that you hoped it would go or in the way that you thought it needed to go? Understand this, friend. We're given a, a promise in Hebrews chapter 7 that we have a great high priest Whoever lives to intercede for us. 
That He cares for us in our needs. He cares for us in our times of, of difficulty, in our times of trial, in our times of sorrow. He cares for us. And that's exactly what the disciples were facing here. And so they're rowing. And Jesus comes to them. And the Bible says that He would have passed by them. There's some debate on what this means. That Jesus would have passed by them. Some believe that Jesus walked towards them and he would have passed by them unless they had called out for him. Unless they cried in fear, hoping that he was coming to their rescue. Some believe that this phrase, that he would have passed by them, just simply means that he was walking in their direction. If you're hoping for me to tell you what that phrase means, I'm just going to tell you one of my famous phrases. I don't know. I don't know what it means. But what do we do? What we do know is this. That in their time of need, Jesus made himself available to them in a way that was miraculous, in a way that changed their lives. And so they were toiling, they were rowing, and Jesus came walking to them. And he was walking on the sea, which is another miracle that proves that he was God in verse 49. And when the disciples saw it, they thought it was a spirit and they cried out. Now, I imagine that up until this point, the, the boat wasn't quiet, right? You have these 12 strong-willed, uh, boisterous, uh, somewhat arrogant men who are in the middle of a storm, not knowing what to do. And I bet there was some arguing going on, probably some name-calling going on, probably some second-guessing of leadership going on. And then Jesus comes, and when they see Jesus, they don't cry out and argue in an argumentative way, but they cry out in fear, Imagine a grown man shrieking at the top of his lungs when he sees what he thinks is a ghost walking to him on the water. I would be freaked out. I think you would be as well. We've got some manly men in here thinking, I'd be fine. You're lying. You'd be scared to death. So Jesus walks to them on the water. They cry out, for they all saw him. They thought it was a ghost. And immediately Jesus says one of his famous phrases, which is, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Do you understand how contrary that phrase is to what the disciples were going to in that moment? For the wind to be contrary to them, they were rowing in waters that were difficult to row in, which meant there were waves that were difficult to row through, which probably means that there were waves that were coming into the boat, and they've been in this situation before, Right? Just a few chapters earlier, Jesus was with them, sleeping in the back of the boat. And when this happened, they went and woke Jesus up. And what did they say? Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die? And so in their minds, they've forgotten that scenario. Once again, they're, they're frustrated by the situation that they're in. And Jesus comes to them and subtly rebukes them in a different way. And he says, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Why does Jesus say that? Because everything that Jesus had showed them up until this point should have caused them to understand that Jesus was the one who had the ability to control the situation that they were in. And so they could be of good cheer. And so they could not be afraid because Jesus was indeed God, the one who's able to do miracles. Bible says in verse 51 that Jesus went up unto them into the ship, and when he stepped into the ship, the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. How hard-hearted and thick-skulled were the disciples? 
They've already seen this scenario one time. They just saw Jesus feed over 5,000 people with a few pieces of bread and a few fish. They saw Jesus raise someone from the dead. And yet when Jesus performed this miracle on their behalf, they, they were amazed, sore amazed within themselves, and they, they wondered at what was going on. They couldn't comprehend. And why was it that they couldn't comprehend? Well, Mark is very gracious in giving us the answer in verse number 52. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Hard-hearted disciples walking with Jesus. Hard-hearted disciples not being willing or able or eager to think beyond the physical realm and into the spiritual realm. Hard-hearted disciples not being able to accept that they weren't powerful enough, but Jesus was. Hard-hearted disciples who who didn't consider, hey, if Jesus can feed 20,000 people, if Jesus can raise people from the dead, oh wait, if Jesus could calm the storm before, who should it be that we're crying out to in this moment? But we already saw their hard-heartedness in the previous miracle because when they perceived that the people were hungry, they didn't come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, do a miracle and feed them. What What did they say? Send them away. Send them away. Why did they say that? Because what were the disciples supposed to be doing in the moment where Jesus was teaching the people? They were supposed to be on vacation. They were supposed to go into a desert place to come apart and recenter their lives. And I believe, and I'm not alone in this, I, I believe the disciples' hearts were a little bit bitter towards the ministry of Jesus in that moment because instead of the focus being on them alone, the focus was on so many other people. Jesus didn't tell the disciples to break the bread and break the fish. What did he tell them to do? Go feed the people. Before that, they had just come back and said, Jesus, look at all the wonderful things that we have done. Listen to all the wonderful things that we have taught. And in that moment, in some way, they could have been lifting themselves up in pride. And so when Jesus said, hey, go feed these people... And then when Jesus said, hey, you guys go away from me, where were their hearts headed? Into a place where where they were almost antagonistic towards Jesus now. They were disappointed in Jesus because he wasn't doing things in the way that they wanted them to be done. But nevertheless, in spite of their hard-heartedness, Jesus interceded on their behalf. Can I ask you today, friend, where would you be if Jesus had not interceded in your life? What road, what path would you be walking down right now if Jesus had not stepped into your life? When Jesus stepped into your life, were were any of you thinking to yourself, man, I've got this figured out, and then Jesus wrecked your world? Right, I'm making a go at life. I'm doing well on my own. I can handle these scenarios and these situations. And then Jesus interceded and he changed everything. He changed your perspective. He changed the, the way you thought. He changed the way that you lived. And that's what Jesus was doing here once again. And though they had seen this miracle once before, the disciples were blown away in this moment one more time. They were sore amazed because their hard hearts had caused them to forget what Jesus had already done for them. Friends, so many times when we think of Jesus interceding in our lives, we think he does it 
for, for a physical benefit for us. Oh, Jesus interceded. The rain stopped and the sun came out. Jesus interceded. And we think merely physical. Oh, Jesus interceded. The money came in. I got to pay the bill that I had. Jesus interceded in a physical way. But what have we said throughout Mark's gospel? That every physical thing that Jesus does is pointing us to a spiritual reality of what Jesus has already done. And so if Jesus provides money for a need, what's the greater picture there? That Jesus paid the debt that you owed for your sin. That it sentenced you to hell forever. And Jesus paid the bill. So where would we be if Christ had not interceded in our lives? And, and where would we, we be headed now if he didn't continue to intercede on our behalf? As I mentioned already, that verse in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says this, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto, him, unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. As our great high priest, he is the one who intercedes on our behalf. He is the one who died in our place so that we could be forgiven. And he's the one who intercedes to the Father for us to this day until we see him face to face. And as Christ interceded for the disciples in their time of need, friend, understand this. You are not where you are today because of who you are. You are who you are today because Christ has interceded on your behalf. You're finding the strength to make it through day after day after day. Why? Not because you're a strong individual with a strong personality. I, I despise when people boast of their strength. Why? Because it's making much of them and little of Christ. What did John the Baptist say? He must increase. I must decrease. So we don't boast of our strength. We boast of the strength of the one who interceded on our behalf so that we could have a chance and hope in this life and in the life to come. When we understand how Christ intercedes for us in our times of desperate need, then the words that Jesus spoke in verse number 50, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid, will become the normal response when we face trials in this life. And that's a spiritual gift that God gives. Anybody ever face a trial and you think to yourself, oh man, I am so excited to go through this thing. I was hoping that I would get a flat tire today. You know, I woke up this morning praying that I'd get the stomach bug. I just was really hoping. That's not what Jesus means when he says, be of good cheer. He doesn't say pray for the trials to come, but be of good cheer means that when the trials come, I can still have a heart of joy and a spirit of joy that's contagious because I know the one who is ultimately in control of all the things that are taking place in this life. Jesus interceded for the disciples. And friend, if you want to have a warm and fuzzy moment in the service today, just stop for a minute and think about how Jesus intercedes for you. As your great high priest, as the one who died in your place to give you freedom from the bondage and penalty and permanence of sin, think about the one who interceded on your behalf. And let that cause you to be of good cheer and rejoice. For as Jesus was interceding then, he is still interceding today. Christ stayed focused. He, 
He stayed on mission. He went to the Father to pray. He stayed focused in that he ministered to the disciples in their time of need. That's why God had sent him. And finally this morning, Christ stayed focused in that he ministered to the needy. In verses 53 through 56, we see the end of the chapter. Somebody texted me this week and asked what text I was preaching from, and they said 45 through 52, and I said 45 through 56, and they said, I'll pack a lunch. Um, (laughs) But this last point is short, I promise, and we should get out of here at a normal time. But in this last section, we see that, that Christ... He sent the people away. He sent the disciples away. He went to the mountain to pray. He interceded for the disciples as he came to the sea. As he stepped into the boat, the storm stopped. Oh, by by way of side note, this is the portion of Scripture that the other Gospels reveal to us that Peter walked on the water to Jesus. And as we said early on, uh, Mark's Gospel was heavily influenced by Peter. So there's debate as to why the story of Peter walking on the water is not in Mark's Gospel. And there's There's two options. Either Peter had matured enough at this point that he said, no, don't put that in there, make it all about Jesus. Or Peter was still a little bit arrogant and say, no, don't put that in there because that story makes me look really bad. (laughs) Either way, you can have your choice, uh, but Mark doesn't put it in there. I tend to believe that, that hopefully Peter had matured enough at this point that he said, let's make it about Jesus. Let's not make it about me and what I did or what I didn't do. Let's make it about Jesus. That's just a side note. But as we get to this last section, we see that Christ ministered to the the needy. In verses 53 through 56, it says this, And when they had passed over, they came unto the land of Gennesaret, and he drew near to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him, and ran through the whole region round about, and began to carry about in beds those that were sick, where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, They laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. Jesus sent away the crowds on the other side of the sea, but Jesus welcomed the crowds on this side of the sea. The crowds on the other side of the sea had in their minds determined who they wanted Jesus to be. The crowds on this side of the sea were willing to receive Jesus as he came to them. Friends, let let us understand that we don't get to determine who Jesus is. We don't. We don't get to say, I want a Jesus that does this and this and this and this. And if he doesn't do those things, then I don't want him. We receive Jesus as he is. And so as the disciples and Jesus landed on the other side of the sea, there's some debate that they didn't go to Bethsaida. They they landed in Gennesaret, which they're in the same region. And so it's not a discrepancy. They didn't land in the wrong place. Just understand there there are different towns or regions that were mentioned, but they're on the same side of the sea. As Jesus gets there, the people begin to recognize him. They see him for who he is, that he's the one that did those miracles that we heard about. He's the one that, that has raised people from the dead. He's the one that the disciples told us he calmed a storm. And now the disciples are saying, hey, he calmed another storm. This is the one that, that has, has fed all these people with just a few pieces of bread and a few fish. This is the one. And so they went to grab everybody they knew that was sick. And the Bible says that they brought them out on pallets or on their beds and they laid them in the streets. Why? Why? Because they understood Jesus could do 
miracles like no other person. And the Bible says that they, they weren't even desiring that Jesus would touch them. They were desiring that they could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Now, does that sound familiar to you in Mark's gospel? The woman with the issue of blood, what did she say? She said, if I could just but touch the hem of his garment, I know that I would be made whole. And the faith of that woman had spread throughout the regions and people understood that there was something so significant about Jesus that if by faith they touched in belief that they too would be made whole. And that's exactly what happened. And Jesus, in this time where his ministry was exploding, when he could have gone from having a healing ministry and a miraculous ministry to probably at this time toning it back and just having a teaching ministry to convince people to do what he wanted them to do, what did Jesus do? He still met the, ne- the needs of the needy. Why? Because they had faith to receive him, not as they wanted him, but they had faith to receive him as he was. I, this morning, I like to, to watch uh, once in a while um, different sermon clips. And this morning, I saw somebody posted one. It was of a pastor that I knew of, and he's... he's uh, kind of a charlatan, um, not in our state. I don't know him personally. We would call him a false teacher. And I watched, and the amount of pull and sway he had over the people in the room proved that he was a charlatan. He could tell them to do anything, and they would do it because it was prefaced in this, if you do it, you'll receive more of the Spirit. So he said, raise your hands and receive the Spirit. And what did the people do? They raised their hands. Like, That's how we receive the Spirit. He said, breathe in and receive more of the Spirit. And the people breathed in. Hoping to receive something that, guess what? God has already given them fully. But they followed him. Why? Because he had a ministry. He has a personality that has pull over the people that he ministers to. Do you see what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't coax the people to get them to do what he wants them to do. He meets the people where they're at so their lives can be changed. That's the difference. That's the difference. So when Jesus comes to this side of the sea, he remembers what his mission is for. He didn't come to heal the healthy. Who did he come to heal? Those who were sick. He didn't come for those who were made whole. He came for those who were broken. And in his presence in this moment, he was surrounded by broken and sick and needy people. And what does he do? He meets them where they're at so that he can change their lives. They were willing to receive Jesus as he was. And Jesus was willing to meet them where they were at. And when that combination happens, friends, lives change. Do you know why the gospel took root in your heart and in mine? And in mine, because we were willing to receive Jesus as he is, and Jesus was willing to meet us where we were at. Jesus never once said, straighten up, clean up, get up, do better, and then come to me. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come, you who are weary, I'll lift that burden from you, as long as you understand that you also have to receive me for who I am. 
So the crowds on the other side of the sea were sent away because in their minds they had a vision of a Jesus they wanted. The crowds on this side of the sea were called to stay and the crowds grew because they were willing to receive Jesus as he was. And friend, the temptation even for believers is to make up in our minds a Jesus that we want rather than a Jesus that already is. He's not our vending machine and he's not our genie. He is a miracle worker worker, and he is God. And let us receive him as such. Let us receive him as such and allow him to make the changes that he wants to make in our lives. And so Christ stayed focused. The crowds wanted him as the king, but he stayed committed to the cause. The disciples doubted and feared, forgetting what Jesus was able to do, and Jesus subtly redirected their attention to the eternal power rather rather than the temporal power. The sick were brought to him, and all were healed because they received Jesus as he was, and Jesus met them where they were at. And as Christ stayed focused in all these different scenarios, this is just in probably a, a five-hour period all these things took place. I, I wonder, are we staying focused in the lives that God has called us to? You say, well, I, I want to achieve. I, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to go there. I want to go here. I want to accomplish this. Friend, let us pray the prayer of Jesus. Not my will, but thy will be done. God, if you want me to do these things, then you open the door. But if you don't want me to do these things, then close the door and let me be of good cheer because I know that I'm I'm where you want me to be. God, if you're calling me to walk through a dark valley of loneliness or sickness or pain or suffering or sorrow, let me be of good cheer knowing that you are with me in every one of those steps that I'm going to take through the valley of despair. God, help me to not paint an image of a Jesus I want, but help me to be overjoyed. With the Jesus who is. That he's the Savior of the world. And if all he did was save me, help me to be content in knowing that would be enough. That would be enough. And so understand, you may not get to do what you want to do in this life. And that may disappoint you. But understand this. If you're content in what Jesus has you doing, then the thing that you want to do, with all of its glory and all of its splendor, will fade into the distance. As you set your heart and your desire on the mission that Jesus has given you. So where are you distracted today? If you're sitting there thinking, you're good, I'm good, I'm not distracted in any way in my life, you're a liar. (laughs) And I pray that we would allow the Spirit to search our hearts. That in the places of our lives where we're not following wholeheartedly, that He would point those things out and that we would surrender them to Him. That in the desires that we have that may be good desires, but they're not God's desires, that we would be willing to abandon those things on the altar so that we could be the people that He has called us to be. Where are you distracted? And in your distraction, will you let that thing go? So you can follow Jesus wholeheartedly.
and the things that I'm focused on, will they matter for eternity? A question worth pondering. If you're here today and you are somebody who has never trusted Christ as your Savior, maybe you're here checking out church. You don't know what this is all about. Maybe you're coming from a different background where Jesus was looked at as a Savior, but also as one you had to appease to get Him to save you. Understand this, that this story is really a picture of the gospel. That in your time of greatest need, Jesus came to where you were to die for you so that you could have peace. As He came to the disciples, He came to where you were so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be freed from the bondage of the weight of the sin that you had been under from the time you were born, that He came to where you were to offer you a hope that nothing in this world can offer you. Will you understand that that's who Jesus is? That He loves you? That He died for you? Will you trust Him today by faith, repenting of your sins, understanding that you have nothing good to offer Him, but He has everything good to offer you? Will you believe in Him today as your Savior? The story continues, for those of us who are saved, when the people on the other side of the sea saw that Jesus came, what did they do with their friends that were sick? They brought him to Jesus. If you're here today and you're a believer, can I ask you who you're bringing to Jesus? It's one thing for us to say, I have a desire to see people saved. It's just, you know, it's just my heart's passion to see people saved but we never invite anyone to hear about him. We never offer them the truth of the gospel. And if we're honest, we probably rarely even pray for people to be saved. But doesn't it sound good to say, my heart's desire is for people to be saved. When those people on the other side of the sea believed that Jesus was who Jesus said he was, what did they do? They brought everybody they could to come in contact with Jesus. And believer... That's the mission that God has given us as well, to bring people to Jesus. You can't save them. You can't convince them. You can't coax them. But you can bring them. You can encourage them. You can invite them. And then God can do a work that's eternal, that can change them forever. So I would ask us today, are are we focused? Are we staying focused as Jesus stayed focused? God, we thank you for this time that we can be in your house again today. Thank you for your word, and we ask, God, that you would use it in our heart. I do pray if there's any here today who have never trusted Christ as their Savior, that they would understand that he's already come to where they are. Over 2,000 years ago, he came and lived a perfect and sinless life. He died on the cross and on their behalf so that they could be forgiven, so the wrath of God against them could be appeased. And maybe they look at their lives today and they think, well, I'm not that bad of a person, but God, help them to understand today The Bible says that if we've committed one sin, then we're guilty of all. That before a holy and just God, it's not a comparison game of who am I better than. It's that I fall short of His glory based on the things that I have done. God, help them today to see and understand and believe and receive the truth that Jesus is the Savior of the world. That His greatest mission was not to cook a meal of bread and fish or to to save some disciples in the middle of a sea, or even to to heal the sicknesses, the physical sicknesses that people had. But his greatest mission was, was to come and to seek and to save those who are lost and dead in their sins. 
Bible reveals that when our eyes are open to the truth, that life is breathed into us. And it's not temporary life, but it's eternal life. God, help them today to understand their need of a Savior. Help them to turn to Christ alone to be that Savior. God, for those of us who are saved today, I pray that we would have the right understanding of who Jesus is. God, I pray that that we would be of good cheer in whatever he calls us to go through in life. The disciples were in the boat because they were obedient to Jesus to begin with. So let us not be so foolish to think that obedience to Christ means a road of ease. Help us to be understanding, knowing that obedience to Christ often brings trials. But even in the trials, we can be of good cheer. And then God, help us to, to be those people who are bringing others to Christ so that they can hear the truth of the gospel. We thank you for the, the focus that Jesus had. And God, I pray that we would be focused people as well. Use your word in our hearts to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.